Barbecue's our passion, and that's just what you'll get where the Kim Burns is a barbecuer. Tales from the pits. Howdy, welcome to another episode of Tales from the Pits. This is Brian. And Andrew. And today we are here with Todd David, Cadillac Barbecue. And hey, we're in Dallas. We are. It's taken us far too long to get back to Dallas. Um, last time we were in Dallas, we had just launched the show a few months prior. And so uh, we were doing the whole passport and got through all of that. And for whatever reason, we, we spent way too much time in Austin. We, we tend <laughs> to spend too much time in Houston, but we're glad to get back to Dallas and definitely got, glad to get back to Cadillac. Uh, Todd, you and Misty have built an amazing operation here with Thank you. some incredible barbecue. Um, let's let's start, I guess, as close to the beginning as we reasonably can of how this became a passion and eventually a business. Well, it's kind of always been a passion. Um, I grew up in St. Louis, which you know is a barbecue area. So my family would throw barbecues in the backyard. Um, probably one of my first dates I remember was taking some girl on my bicycle to a park and cooking on where's the picture see that grill up there whatever yeah, they call yeah. those that you see in the parks oh yeah that, yeah kind of almost hibachi style yeah. yeah yeah that's what I first cooked pork steaks on st. Louis style pork steaks where you sauce them up a whole bunch and so on so that that hobby continued barbecue was always one of my favorite foods so when I came to Dallas in the 70s, that kind of continued, except we didn't have the barbecue places we do now. So my first apartment here, I would hang out. My, the first place I had an apartment, um, my second apartment there, I was on the pool. So I would cook barbecue on the pool, and that's how I met people, because I didn't know a soul when I came to Dallas. Came here for an accounting job out of college. and. It just always stayed as that hobby that I enjoyed doing um, for both that, you know, that noun and verb thing. Going to the barbecue and cooking barbecue. And primarily pork, it seems like? Did um, you get into beef? I started with pork, and until I got an offset cooker, I didn't do, I didn't really know what brisket was until I went to a few places and ate and so on. And back then there wasn't a lot of barbecue in Dallas and what there was was typically chopped. Um, if we wanted ribs we went to Fort Worth to get ribs. I don't remember a rib place in Dallas back then and uh, so I was just always cooking and kind of experimenting around and then uh, like I say I used it socially a whole lot and from there I, I really just did it at home. I mean, if I had people over the house, I would barbecue. When I got my first offset smoker, it was from a guy on the side of the road. And I can remember, I think, making pork chops, smoking pork chops with mesquite, and you could barely eat them. They were so bad, because you know what mesquite <laughs> yeah, does bitter. if you don't cook with it. Well, I hadn't used mesquite, but it was readily available in Dallas back then. So I'm like, whatever, I just cooked with it. I didn't know what I was doing or any of that kind of stuff. And you'd learn, same as you learn today, trial and error. And um, that was where most of the cooking took place. Then when I went into, I guess, having my own business, um, right out of school I was an accountant. After that I was in the, sale, in the plastics business, made all kinds of weird things out of plastic. Kind of a cool company. 
We made the first Nerf ball. Oh wow! Speaker covers, weather stripping, injection molding type stuff. Or no, most of it was fabricated. The little pads on the bottom of the calculator for TI. You know, companies like that would come and say, "Hey, how do we do this? How do we do that?" And we'd make parts and pieces. And I'd cook some at home on the weekends. We'd go to the lake. I'd cook out there, and just kept doing a little bit more and a little bit more. And then from there, I started my own business. I actually started a window washing business because that's what I had done in high school and college. And that was in the uh, late 70s, early 80s. And within a short amount of time, I was in the carpet cleaning business because housewives kept asking, oh, if you wash windows, do you clean carpet? And I didn't, and I learned about that. And from carpet cleaning, you get in the disaster work because we chased commercial buildings. So once you do commercial buildings and you clean carpet, the next thing you know, you're cleaning up floods and fires and all kinds of stuff like that. And then, to make a long story longer, I went from one marriage that didn't work out to finding Misty, who was just perfect. And one of the marketing things that Misty and I came up with was what we called Relax at Restorex. Restorex was the company name. And we would invite our customers to come in once a month for a barbecue lunch. And we had this big building, coincidentally, it's three streets over from here. Oh, wow. And we'd clear all the trucks out and everything like that, and we'd set up tables. And we started with, I don't know, 60 or 80 customers showed up for this barbecue lunch. We got to 400 customers a month would show up for this free barbecue. And that's when we started cooking barbecue on a little bit larger scale. And, and what was that like going from, you know, the small cooks, you know, we've experienced some of that ourselves, but going from these smaller cooks to cooking for more and more people, it's, it's a very different process that you have to do. Well, uh, I, I told you we did disaster work. So somewhere in there, um, we had bought a commercial smoker, a Southern Pride, actually, that was on a trailer. Southern Pride used to make this little 500 mm -hmm. unit on a two-wheel trailer. And we bought that because when we did large disasters, again, all our work was commercial. You could end up there for days and sometimes use a lot of temps. And those guys disappear at lunchtime. So we would make them lunch. And we, we used the company to bring in the first smoker. So we had a piece of equipment that would make roughly 500 pounds of meat. And so when we did it the first time, it only took a few briskets because you're talking about feeding. We didn't know how many would show up, but we, I don't know, made 10 of them or whatever, which was no big deal on there. We had a kitchen inside that building and it worked pretty smooth. And so that number would go up each week and then little things would come up. Um, way early in the game, we started doing Emmett Smith's golf tournament. And I used to play golf with, with Emmett and he said, hey, we do my first golf tournament and we did, and we did, I don't know if you ever heard of our cutie pies, which is a little pastry with barbecue inside. And we did that. It was great for golf tournaments because you could take it in the golf cart. Like empanadas, I think. Exactly. Very similar, yeah, Very similar to empanada. Um, but it was made more to the style that you would see in South Africa or England or places like that where they eat meat pies, where we eat hamburgers here. Like Bobotis, yeah. I think. Yeah, it's like a hand pie. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly, yeah. exactly. Very, very similar. 
but some of those put sauce and stuff on the outside, you know, and gravy and mashed potatoes and stuff like that. We don't do all that. So we just put barbecue in it and, and um, it worked out real well for us. We made the, the dough from scratch. So anyway, so um, we just kept making more things kept coming up. And then uh, that building was located in Farmer's Branch. And as we started having larger groups come in, and we started doing a few little bitty things, you know, where somebody would have a wedding or this or that, or Emmett's golf tournament or, or whatever, and ask us if we could make something, I started getting a little concerned about uh, are we doing everything as safe as we can, and, and is anything going to backfire on us? Um, when I was in the disaster business, one of the things you worry about a lot is lawsuits. So we didn't want anything that was going to spark that. So I made the mistake of calling the health department here in town, and the lady's pretty tough. She's honest and tough, but she knows what she's talking about. She used to inspect ships. She worked for the Navy, and she was an ex-military, and all she did was health stuff, keep the military safe. She went from ship to ship to ship. Anyway, uh, she tried to shut down everything. She said, you can't mix these two businesses together which you can, and we had a separate kitchen and so on, but she just gave us a hard time. And I said, you know what, screw this, okay? I'm not gonna deal with her. I'll take that business out. And that's when, and we were near a time that we were looking at getting out of the restoration business. And so Misty decided to start looking for a place for us to put the um, cooking business, the uh, barbecue business. And she actually tried to leave this area. I told you there's three streets over. She tried to leave this area and went near where we live, which is in Plano, Texas. And she would talk to different real estate people. And one of them said, hey, we don't have a place, but we know the perfect place for you. It used to be a food place. It has Venom hoods. It has a grease trap, blah, blah, blah. It's in a commercial area. We didn't care where it was because we were going to cater out of it. Okay, we didn't plan on serving anybody. I don't know anything about the food business. To this day, I'm not a restaurant guy. I'm not a cook. I'm not a chef. I love the barbecue world. Been in it my whole life as far as going to places like you guys do. I didn't do a blog or anything, but I love to travel and eat barbecue. Um, if, if I was going to have people over, it was my number one thing to cook. And so... Um, that's why we were just gonna cater. We would work when we want for who we wanted. We were gonna sell the restoration company at that point. I'd been in it for 30 something years, okay? And and back, background in accounting, you ran the numbers as well, because that's, that's a big shift to walk away from that style of business, and especially restaurant, which is a very risky business to get into. Absolutely, and I wasn't planning to get in the restaurant business. All I was trying to do, to be honest with you, is I had built a really strong business in the restoration business over 30 something years. The disaster business, similar to the, to the cleaning, I mean to the cooking business, barbecue business and so on, is around the clock business. The difference in the disaster business, we don't know when the next job is coming. In the barbecue business, I know the next time I have to cook briskets, even though it's all night or a pig all night. I know when that is. I can schedule it. I can get sleep accordingly. In the disaster business, you go out and again, we did commercial work. So we were doing major high-rise cleanups. 
small company still. I've only, only been in small companies because I like to be, stay involved and I like that quality. And my experience is it's real hard to deliver exceptional quality when you have a slew of people. That's one of the problems with some corporate America. Um, some like Apple pull it off. It's a problem in the restaurant industry too. I mean, you it see is with with expansion or as you know multiple locations. Yeah, the more locations you have, and even different restaurant concepts, you can't be all things to all people at all times. It, if you look in the other room, I have a lot of photos of what I believe are legends of barbecue guys. People are always like, "Why do you have your competition on the wall?" It's like, that's not my competition. Okay, my competition is restaurants outside of the barbecue world. The barbecue world is family. Those are people that, you know, other restaurants that sell burgers and, and that kind of stuff, that's competition because someone has to decide, do I want pizza for lunch or do I want barbecue for lunch? If they're in Addison where we are and they want barbecue for lunch, they're coming here, all right? Unless they don't want to spend any money and then they're going to that place across the street that's got all the franchises around town. So um, we have those pictures up there because those guys are legends. And there are more legends to me today, now that I've done this, only serving people two to three days a week, than before I got into it. Because I realize, I don't know how they do it. Patrick Fegis, guys like that, Wayne Miller, um, Aaron Franklin, I don't know how. Um, and then you go to places like uh, McKinney, Texas, where you got Hutchins Barbecue Hutchins, does yeah. lunch and dinner. That, that's an amazing Seven operation. days a week. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know how they do it. I, I went to the Frisco location last week. I mean, they've got seven Oilers and four offsets, and, and they were running them. I mean, yes. it's a very, very high-volume business. Yes. We eat the one in McKinney a lot. And I, I don't know how they, I, you know, my hat goes off to those guys. Pecan Lodge, same thing. You know, he and his wife went from a business they could control and enjoy to trying to service everybody. Now they've got a separate business for their catering and so on. They do exceptionally well. But it's got to be wearing their ass out. And I'm, a lot, I'm older than most of those folks. I don't have that in me anymore. I could do that 20 years ago, okay? And I did it in the disaster business. I worked 80 hours a week, almost every single week. If I wanted to work those kind of hours, I would have stayed in that business. It was a cash cow. But this has nothing to do with the money. It really doesn't. This is all about, you don't work for what it takes for one brisket unless you really enjoy making that brisket. You really don't. I mean, people may try it and think they like barbecue or they like to make it, but until you've done it, and you guys have done it, you know what it's like. If you don't have the heart and the passion for it, you're not gonna do it well. Brisket, sausage, there, there's so many of those meats, even pastrami where the process is not an overnight process. You're really talking about three, four, a week, three weeks sometimes, depending on, on what which meat you're doing. and if you count your labor, it's a loss. Right? I, absolutely, absolutely. It's like building a pit, okay? It's like building a smoker. You know, you look at welding and things of that sort. Now, the new guy's building them, Moberg, is that it? He's got all kinds of equipment and he's, he's building it on a large scale. But like our pits were built uh, by the Lewis family, okay? And Austin Smokeworks, and they did everything by hand built an exceptional product, but they sure as hell didn't build it to make a dime. There's just no way. There's too many hours in it. 
They're probably, if you're doing it from a money standpoint, you're better off at McDonald's. Yeah. And for those that are interested in Austin Smokeworks, Jimbo Glass is, is still running. So Absolutely. you can still buy an Austin Smokeworks yeah. bit and, today. And, yeah. and Jimbo's um, doing well with that. And I talk to him electronically on, on now and then. And, uh, and he follows everything we do. And they've built five smokers for us. And he was involved in all five. Um, uh, John Sr. was definitely involved in all five. And John... Uh, little John was opening Charleston at that point, but it's because of Little John that his dad even took us on because we were in uh, in Texas, and he's been very protective of La Barbecue, and his loyalty doesn't change to to people. John Lewis is is a great guy, and uh, so he introduced me to his dad. Um, and his dad was willing to start building, and once they started building, as long as I wanted more, they kept building. So, and, and it's funny because Mr. Lewis built them almost from the beginning of his time with that to about the time um, our last thousand gallon we brought in here was one of his very last. Wow. So over that whole time period, we kept bringing them in and bringing them in. Yeah, we, we had the good fortune to, to sit down with, with John a couple of months ago and that's one of the things that he told us about the pit building business is exactly what you said is you know, his dad had retired and then come out of retirement to help with Austin Smokeworks when, you know, when John was moving to Charleston mm -hmm. and now is retired again because building pits is really dang hard work. And, and you went from, you know, the, the Southern Pride to an offset. We went from the Southern Pride um, to a, an old hickory because we were still outside on these trailers before Farmers Branch tried to shut us down. And then, and then we looked for a place to go, and like I said, somebody referred us here, and that's why we're on this off-beaten path. Everybody's like, why are you it's located where you are? It's an place to be, it is. Yeah. Well, think about, we decide that, to sell our business, and retirement's overrated. I was close to 50 when we were gonna sell the business, and so I didn't wanna, you know, I love working. I've always had that entrepreneurship in me, and this is a lady that my neighbor across the street, if you read, I can't read from here on that lemonade thing, she'll tell you, uh, Rouse Kessler was one of our neighbors growing up that it all started with a, with a lemonade stand because when I was a little tight, you know, I'd be up on the curb selling to cars driving by. So anyway, that part's always been there. So when we looked at coming here, it was, okay, all we're gonna do is cater. We're not gonna retire but we're gonna take this hobby. People are always asking us because they got to taste our barbecue. How do we get this? And we said, all right, we'll cater. When they're having an event, that way we can work when we want for who we want, travel around, whatever we wanna do. And so the first year after selling the business, um, we traveled a little bit. We catered once in a lifetime maybe once a month. And I had a, a full-time guy work for me so I could keep him on the payroll. He just cleaned here and we didn't have what you see now. The space you're sitting in now, our, what we call the corral where all the tables are, uh, just came into existence about two years ago. We had a little bitty takeout on the other side. Even what's over there now wasn't there. There were two offices and a storeroom. So there was a real small area you would walk inside of. You would stand in line at a counter, maybe six, eight, ten people could stand in line. It was 100% takeout only. 
First time Daniel Vaughn ever came here, he ate on the tailgate of his car. So that's the only way he could eat. And so word started spreading real fast. So that's how we got here because we were just going to cater. So being off the beaten path, paying an industrial rate versus a high-rise rate, okay? How Patrick pays that rent, I don't know. They got to be giving him some hell of a deal because rent's gotten in these big cities, Houston, Dallas, um, Austin, it's gotten so high. All right, that becomes some of these companies' top expenses. You're seeing a resurgence of small town barbecue as some of these people are moving out to smaller towns because because of real estate. I, I don't blame them. And, and I think that's why you're seeing this surge in Fort Worth, in my opinion. It's a great area. It's as Texas as you get, okay? You're looking for people to still be on horseback, aren't you, when you're over there? <laughs> or and running cattle through the, through the yeah. stockyards. And yeah. they do, they have a, still have a cattle run once a year down in the lower part of Fort Worth. And, um, and it's more reasonable. And so I'm lucky I don't have to deal with that. If I did, I wouldn't be open two days a week. So that's kind of how we got to this, to this location. As you move from uh, Southern Pride, Old Hickory is very similar to a Southern Pride. So we had an Old Hickory then, because that was our second trailer. Sure. We could take that to events and the Southern Pride just didn't cut it. And, and then, the old hickories um, will run well. You just have to finesse them a little we, bit. And, and we still have it. It's on the inside of the building. Because when we first came here, that's all we had. And it came through here by half an inch. And, and I'll tell you, you just hit the nail on the head, Andrew. When finessing that smoker is very key. When Texas Monthly um, ranked us number three, and other people were writing about us. If you go back and look at those dates, a majority of what they ate came off the old hickory because Austin Smokeworks had just started. Check the dates on all that and you'll see that even though we learned how to go through that transition of learning how to use those offsets, we first got people's attention in some of the magazines and, and the newspaper here and things of that sort um, using an old hickory. We've never used the gas. Okay, I, I take that back. I use the gas to start the fire. And you can dial it down. I mean, the, the well, gas we is don't, adjustable we kill even it. though. But yeah, okay. you, can, you the, can play with that however yeah. you want to. The best yeah. way for me to do it is, is we had ours built with a switch. And as soon as the fire is going, before meat goes on, they turn that switch off. And it never, never goes back on. And and we know how to work the door even though we're inside to draft and all the things that we need to. Remember I was in the disaster cleanup business for over 30 years. So in the disaster business, you deal with fire, water, and smoke of how to get them out because that's why we've been called. And coincidentally, we happen to evolve in this business where fire, moisture, and smoke are three of the most key products to incorporate into your food. And so not only is that coincidental, but I happen to learn how to work them, what airflow did and, and vortexes and things of that sort. That's the only way we could dry a building. In getting into that, I mean, obviously, like you said, working with the, 
the old hickory and understanding how the airflow. And that's why you could use it. How were you able to transition to the offsets? And, and how is that different from a, a cook process? So when, um, I mean, I had a little offset at home, but I never really paid attention to what I was doing on it. You know, you bite the thing wherever you buy it and you put some wood or charcoal in it and you screw up stuff because you, you think, okay, it's too close. You don't realize maybe the logs were too big. You just don't start analyzing all that stuff yet. Should you inject, should you not? You know, you listen to too much of what everybody does. And nowadays you got podcasts, okay? And so- Sorry. <laughs> yeah, so unfortunately, you've got people that listen to y'all that aren't in the barbecue world. And they're like, oh, so-and-so said to do this. And they're they, like, want a, they want a specific temperature, they want a specific time, they want a number, right? and they want to hit that every time. And it's, barbecue is not a, a mathematical science, it's so, an art. Absolutely, and that's why I love once a month, I try to talk to folks out back, and, and I'm real honest with them. I tell them, don't go that route. Read the books if you want, okay? And there's a lot of great books out there. But don't try to be that guy, okay? Take the knowledge like you would at any resource item and apply some of the knowledge, but don't try to emulate those guys, you know? And so when I went to an offset, the little offset, I didn't know what I was doing. When I decided to buy one from Austin Smokeworks, all right, I, what I decided, here's what I really decided. When I first started cooking with the old hickory and we started cooking in some volume, and I ate at places like La Barbecue. Maybe it was the first time. The first time I think I ate at La Barbecue, I was with the, on a bus with the National Barbecue Association. Is that what they call it? MBBQA, yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. And you know, they do the tours and so on. And Misty and I used to go at least every other year to their annual convention, and we would always go on the bus rides. That was the main reason we went. And so two years in a row, it was in Austin. And one year, La Barbecue was included in that. Franklin's was included with that. A Wayne's Place, I'm trying to think where else. But anyway, there was just something so different about John's Barbecue. It was just incredible. And when Allie brought that tray to the table and Misty and I grabbed pieces of brisket off of it, we just looked at each other and it was just different and we'd already been to Franklin's. Don't get me wrong, and Franklin's is about as good as they get. Doesn't mean you can't tweak that. And John did. Uh, of course, he cooked most of the briskets in, in the early days at, at um, Franklin's anyway. Um, but nothing, not taking anything away from Aaron. Aaron's still one of my heroes. Um, but John was just, his briskets, and the commitment that he has and what he did was just incredible. I think it was a, a bit of the, the competition background in Absolutely, John. Absolutely, I'm sure it was. That, that drove that, you know, so he, he had the retail and the competition and blended it together. Yeah. Well, and John's um, fascination with science and pit technology. I he mean, gets what he does. Yes, yes, and he, he gets, gets all aspects of it. And this is my whole point when I, when I talk to people that are coming up in this industry is stop trying to be like him, okay, and listen to what he says. Okay, understand, and that's what John has done so well, is John knows what he's talking about. He understands good and bad and what the effects and the scientific part of it and all that. And it's not just, well, so-and-so does it, so he does it. He can tell you exactly why he does it. So 
Um, I think that may have been the first or second time I actually met John. And John didn't know me from Beans. I knew him because I had heard of him. And then um, Ronnie Killen cooked downstairs and John Lewis kicked, cooked upstairs at a barbecue event in Houston at a brewery. That was Super Beef, uh, St. Arnold Super Beef. Okay, yeah. exactly. Yeah. So we, we drove- their first one. Yeah, yeah it yeah. was. We drove down for that, and John recognized me as, hey, I've seen you before. Because I was always kind of get him off to the side and talk to him a little bit, because uh, he was so knowledgeable. And I talked to him once at, um, around that same time, whenever that was, we had also seen him at Texas Monthly in Austin. And that may have been the first time I saw him actually. And, um, and so, you know, I introduced myself again and we visited a little bit. And each time he would tell me more, whatever else I asked him. And then about that time, I think is when he, he and his dad started making pits. And he was looking at leaving Franklin's and that whole deal. And somehow we talked in there somewhere else. I don't remember where it was. But anyway, enough that he knew who I was that when I called him, he hooked me up with his dad. So uh, to make a sto long story longer to answer to your question. So anyway, so when the first pit was on its way, or here, I can't remember which one, I called John and said, hey, I don't know what the hell to do with this thing can I come out to Charleston? And at that time they were doing this pop-up stuff and their, their restaurant was under construction. And he said, yeah, come on out. So I went out for the weekend. He told me where they were doing their prep and where everything was going on and what time they would start and so on. And they kind of worked in shifts. Well, I was there for less than 48 hours and I had to learn as much as I could learn. So it was like, you know, just tell me when you start and I'll just be there till you're done. And I sleep on the way back to Dallas. I don't need to work in the shifts like they do. And, and he allowed me to do that. So I saw them light the smoker. I saw them put the food on. And the three guys that, that are still with him, his chef, his general manager, and so on. Um, it's going to be Joe and Philip and all those guys. He's had such a yep. good crew there from the early Great days. Great guys. Yeah. And, um, you know, Philip is a, a top-notch chef. His wife is a top-notch yes. pastry yeah. chef. And um, they were all as helpful can be. And of course, I hung out with John a lot. Um, maybe had a drink or two. And, uh, but he gave me as much information as he could. And it was helpful in getting those basics so that when, when that smoker came in or it was already here, I can't remember which, I kind of knew the basics of what to do. And then from there, it was years, okay? It's taken me many years to feel comfortable. And I'll be honest with you, we're still learning how to use those pits every single day. Um, you talked before about learning. We tweak our food because of that passion we were talking about before, almost weekly. I talk to whoever's doing what, whether they're trimming the briskets or cooking the briskets here or whatever, or ribs or anything. I have some, a great team. And we all visit very, very rarely, like daily. And then we just sit down and have one-on-one -on -one meetings all the time too, okay? But we communicate about everything. What can we do to make a difference? What can we do with this? You know, um, just little stuff. 
the guy that cuts meat next to me, Jacob's been with me for years, okay? And Jacob and I will sometimes stop in the middle of service and go, hey, try, try doing this instead of that or whatever. You know, today we were cutting, a, we have a sandwich called the, uh, the Pitmaster, and it has a, a, a boneless rib. We take the bone out of the rib, cut it in half and so on. And like today we figured out, okay, if we turn that rib on its side, it's a flatter surface than standing it like you would eat the rib. And when you're stacking meats on top of that, they'll stack better. Little thing, but it makes a difference, right? And I'm all about attention to detail. And, you know, we'll talk about it right then. So we're constantly tweaking it. I think at the same time, if you ask my staff what they hate, one of the worst things about me is I'm always tweaking stuff. And so they never quite know what to do. And it's like, man, it's just hard to win because he's always changing something. So it's, you know, it's what makes a difference. And, and early on, you, you tweak something very big, and, and it, I think it's something that is kind of stands for itself with this restaurant, is you changed up the source of your brisket um, to Akaushi from Heartbrand. That's, that's a decision that you made to get a better product in, but you haven't changed the price to reflect that. I mean, you, you brought in that, that source of meat, and, and tell us a little bit about why you like that. Um, but also in keeping the price what it is. So if you go way back, I don't know, four or five years ago, us, like everybody else, used what was available, which is typically back then choice. You could get some select, but mostly it was choice. Prime didn't really exist. Prime was like Wagyu is today. It was one of those elite things. And I think once people started using Prime, then all the people that sell the stuff figured out how do we... Well, they were breeding the cattle that way. Yeah, they weren't exactly. breeding as many prime cattle back then. There wasn't a demand for it. And so, again, I don't come from the food business. I don't come from the restaurant business. So when I would get briskets, once I start not getting them myself, but ordering them from a food distributor, which we've been with Benny Keith since day one. They've been very loyal to us. We've been very loyal to them. We have a great relationship. However, when my briskets would come in, they were all over the place. And I would call my sales girl back then in to look at them with me. And it's like, well, what's up? How come you can't get consistent in this and consistent? And, and I don't you're really- you're talking about both the, the grading and the size? Or so everything about yeah. it, everything about it. It was um, the choice briskets back then. Y'all know how meats are rated based on between the ribs and so on. But- when, Shout out to A&M. Yes, yeah. yes, 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 yes. Thank you to uh, Dr. Jeff Savel. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, I'm going to cook a pig for him in a couple of weeks at one of their schools. Nice. So the briskets would, in my opinion, would have too much fat and not enough marbling, if that makes sense. And it drove me nuts. And then their sizes were different. And, and I felt like I was 70% of the thing was fat. And I can remember bringing in one of their meat uh, companies they bought the meat from back then and I took a raw brisket and I just sliced it up in like two inch thick slices raw and said look at what's inside these are cattle that, that are raised so fast and fed whatever there's no meat where's the muscles and all we're getting is this fat and the fat is in chunks and I would complain all the time and so she set up an appointment for me with a gentleman oversees all of their meat out there. And he was nice enough to sit down with me 
in Fort Worth and talk about meat and explain it and so on. And they were just, Heartbrain was just getting started. And he told me about this company coming in and what Wagyu was, and I didn't know what Wagyu brisket was. I didn't even know what Wagyu beef was. Um, the first time I learned about Wagyu at all was my son accidentally ordered a steak at a steak restaurant and we were there celebrating something. And he was a, a, a little guy at the time, probably in elementary school, maybe a little bit older than that. And he orders a steak and we didn't realize till the bill came that he had ordered a Wagyu. And um, anyway- It's a bit of a sticker shot. <laughs> yeah, it was. It was, and the restaurant was real nice about um, Papa's. Hmm? Uh, that's a Houston company, isn't yes. it? Yes. About helping us out with that. So anyway, um, so they explained all about this heartbrain company and what it was going to be and so on. He says, you're going to pay a little bit more, but it's going to be a superior product. And I'm like, I'm all about superior. I can't make a superior product if I don't start with a superior product. I mean, you can, but hey, if you can get a great smoker, great knowledge, great meat, um, great people, and, and put all those things together, the chances of it coming out great on the other end are a lot better, okay? If you start with a bad engine and bad gasoline and you don't know how to drive well, that car and that whole thing's not gonna end up real well, is it? And that's kind of the way I look at stuff. So um, sports is the same way. And, and I follow, I, even though I'm not a big sports guy, I get that team thing and I get coaching and you've got to have a great field, you've got to have great people to teach, you've got to have great students to come in that want to be on your team and it all meshes together. Uh, training facility, what you feed them, the whole thing. So anyway, so I jumped at that chance and that's how we got hooked up with them and Hartbrand and Benny Keith could not be any more loyal than they are to us then and today. And so we keep that relationship um, and they work with us in any way possibly they can. And so we've been lucky to have that and we took that to that offset smoker and as we've learned all this, we get better at it and better at it and better at it and we just keep working on it. Sometimes we don't, we mess up one or we mess up a cook, um, it better happen. If it's not happening, you're not trying hard enough, I think, okay? You have to screw up to learn. You must make mistakes to learn. The trick is, and I told my son the same thing raising him, as long as you learn by your mistakes, who cares? Do a post-mortem on it, find out what, what root it cause is. was. So that's kind of my philosophy of that. on that. Obviously, you, you've got the superior product in terms of pit now, you've got the superior product in terms of beef, everything seems to be going well, you're learning, you're progressing, the business has grown to something you didn't expect it to be when, when you started it. And then this, uh, this thing called Texas Monthly happens. Right. Was that a shock for you or how, how, how did you guys handle that? Because a lot of people aspire to be the number one, the number two, the number whatever, but you guys were going to be a catering business that turned into a restaurant that's now acclaimed. Tune into part two of our episode with Todd David from Cadillac Barbecue to hear how the business has grown and how they've learned to navigate the changes that the restaurant has gone through as they receive more acclaim and bigger crowds. 
We also discussed Todd's whole hog cooking in part two and a number of other topics. Of course, thank you to Todd and Misty for being so generous as to allow us another restaurant after a busy Saturday service for this interview. Thank you, of course, for listening. Please make sure you're subscribed on your favorite listening app and rate us on your favorite app. We appreciate your support and we will talk with you next time.